At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince, who has charge of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others stood, one on this bank of the stream and one on that bank of the stream. And someone said to the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the stream, How long shall it be till the end of these wonders? And I heard the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the stream. He raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time, times, and half a time. And that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things would be finished. I heard, but I did not understand. Then I said, O my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? He said, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly. And none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. And from the time of the regular burnt offering is taken away, and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits and arrives at the 1,335 days. But go your way till the end, and you shall rest, and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of the days. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Amen. You may be seated. pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to the end of this book, give us, give us great clarity. Help us to understand what you are saying here and help us to take it with us, not just, um, Lord, checking off another book of the Bible, but actually using your words to transform our hearts by the power of your spirit so that we might live in winsome ways this very week and walk according to wisdom and righteousness. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Friends, we've come to the final chapter of the book of Daniel. And you come to an end of a book like this and all that it's involved in, all that we've seen, all that we've learned, and it kind of feels like you're arriving at at a graduation ceremony of sorts, um, where you come to, to, to an accomplishment, to an end of something. And you, you could say that this graduation ceremony, this, uh, this, this conclusion of the book of Daniel is like a con- conclusion of a survival school for Christian exiles. That's been a theme we've heard throughout the book of Daniel, isn't it? That we live as exiles in this world, much like the, um, God's people in Daniel's day did. They lived in a foreign land a land that wasn't their home. And they looked forward to returning to that land. And even as they came back to Israel, what did they learn? That they still weren't home. They still weren't in the new heavens and the new earth. And boy, there's not a day that passes, is there, that we don't realize that to be the the case. 
Not a day that doesn't pass that we don't see the sorrow and the frustrations of this life alongside the joys and look forward to the hope of heaven. And so we've come to the end of this survival school for Christian exiles. We've learned throughout the book of Daniel what we need to know, what we need to hold on to as we navigate life in that kind of world. But here at the end, here at the close of the book, God's great divine messenger stands before Daniel and stands before us and tells us what all this was aiming at. What was this school all about? What was this book trying to instill in us? And and the answer is very simple. All of this has been working in us wisdom. Wisdom. Did you see that refrain several times in in chapter 12? Um, Right there at the beginning, it speaks of those who are wise, shining like the brightness of the sky above. And then you go down further and you see uh, there in verse 10, that those who are wise shall understand. And it might have surprised you that this chapter contrasts wickedness with wisdom, right? You would think, well, no, you're going to contrast the wicked with the righteous, right? But actually, the book of Daniel goes out of its way to say, what you need to understand is that the opposite of wickedness, yes, it is, it is righteousness, but, but it, you can also say that it's wisdom. What is wisdom? It is living skillfully in this troubled and difficult world. Wisdom is making good and right and proper decisions in navigating the complexities of this difficult age. So we look around and see the frustration and see the temptations just to, uh, to, to walk away from God. Wisdom is steering the course and navigating those difficult frustrations of life. That's what the book of Daniel is all about. That's what God wants you to walk away from this book with. Wisdom on your head, like like a cap and gown. Wisdom like Daniel. Wisdom like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Wisdom like our Savior. There are three final Words that God gives to the wives in this passage. And I've, I've, I've organized them um, in a series of three, and I've, and I've written them for you on the back of your bulletin. I want us to look at them so that we walk away from this book, not just like excited about all the different prophecies we've seen and, all the, and how we understand what different numbers mean, but that we actually walk away from this book saying, hey, I know how to live. I know how to live in light of the book of Daniel. Do you want to live in light of the book of Daniel? Let's dive in. What do the wise do? Well, first of all, the wise hold on to God's promises. They hold on tight to God's promises. Even when everything tries to to shut that down and distract them. That's what we see just very clearly here in verses 1 through 4. You see, God brings that uh, great vision that started in chapter 10 and reached all the way to the beginning of chapter 12. He brings it to an end. And what did we see in that vision? Well, we saw that dark days loomed ahead for God's people. That there was, there was a time coming when Israel, who had just come back from their, their time under Babylon and their time under Persia, and they'd just come back to the Holy Land, to Jerusalem, and they'd set their feet there again. And guess what? God said, 
It doesn't get better. Things are going to get worse. I just can't help but feel like, oh, Lord, really, there's more darkness for these, these poor people? And God says, yes, there is. In fact, what did he tell us? That there is this awful figure looming ahead of them, this antichrist figure named Antiochus Epiphanes. And it was he, remember that, that cruel quarterback we talked about last week, who would show up and he would bring great devastation to God's people, even an abomination of, de- of desolation. He would pretend uh, to, to be uh, better than God himself and to waltz into the temple and to sacrifice a pig to Zeus on the altar. But even as we were hearing about these dark days of distress and, and death for the people of God and war and rumors of war, even as we heard about all this, one thing that we can't miss is that it is true for us as well. In fact, you're hearing about Antiochus, but you get to the end of chapter 11, and what do we see? It starts to, to feel eerily like 2 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And we realize that Antiochus isn't the end of this pattern of evil, but there's another Antichrist figure looming ahead of us. What does Jesus tell us, friends? He says, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus leaves no false uh, false impression that we're just going uh, to feel things get incrementally better and better and better and better. In fact, what he says is the church is going to thrive and grow while things get worse around you and suffering presses in and you feel suffocated. And it's because distress loomed ahead for Israel and it's because distress looms ahead for us that we need to hold on to God's promises and he doesn't leave us waiting. This is what's wonderful about the end of this vision is God gives you a graduation present the end of the book of Daniel. And what is that graduation present wrapped up for you? These nice, beautiful promises that you're like, ah, this is what I was waiting for. This is what I saw hints of throughout the book of Daniel. But now it's just given to me on a silver platter. And and the first graduation present that he gives you is this token that he has not forgotten you in the midst of distress. He has the names of his saints written in the book of life. Did you see that? Written there. In, um, in, in verse 1, right at the end of verse 1, it says, But at that time your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. You know, it's like, yeah, Israel, every, you know, there were names of Israelites, names of the Maccabees written on Antiochus' hit list. You, you believers appear on Satan's hit list. He knows you by name, but God knows you by name. And he has your names penned on the great books of heaven, the great records of the elect in heaven. And so, friends, you need to know that, right, when things get difficult. When you feel like the forces of this world are out to get you, you need to look beyond what your eye sees and see what Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego saw, which is simply this, that God hasn't forgotten you. That God has a future for you. And also that God is fighting for you. Isn't that wonderful that right when Israel comes to the end of this this disturbing um, history, a history that they, they never would have written themselves, 
but God told them it was true. A history in which their people were tossed around like a football and they say, okay, what gives God? When's this going to end? And he says, guess what? Michael the archangel is going to step in and deliver you. If we could only see in the times of our distress what the, the kind of maneuvers that God is working with his angel armies, if we could only see the kind of you know, patterns that, that he has his forces um, set for our advantage, wouldn't it just be an incredible confidence? It's a gift to us to get this, this, this taste that Israel, um, at the time of Daniel, already had, uh, you could say, a patron angel for their people. You know, Michael himself, the great archangel, stationed and ready to intervene and bring an end to their distress. And friend, if it, if it was true for Israel in that day, it's true for us. It's true for the people of God today. That there are things going on behind the scenes that God is fighting for us and that he has fought for us in Christ Jesus and he will fight for us. Does that encourage you? Well, if that doesn't encourage you, there's one other gift here that I think just, it's like, wow. It's the gift of the resurrection from the dead. You want to be encouraged in the midst of your, of your, your distress? Do you want to be encouraged when you're persecuted? Encouraged when your sanctification feels like it's moving at a, sales, a snail's pace? Then look at the resurrection hope. What does God say right here? And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to everlasting content. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above. You know, there are, there are people, there are many scholars out there who argue that the doctrine of the resurrection from the dead, bodily resurrection, was just something that kind of got made up in New Testament times. And they'll say, that's why you don't see it ever mentioned in the Old Testament. <laughs> How about right here? I mean, can you get a clear articulation of the doctrine of the bodily resurrection from the dead? Your hope that united to Christ Jesus, though you die, your body will sleep in the ground and your soul will go to be with God. And on the last day, you will rise up body and soul and stand before God. And not only that, if you belong to God, you will rise not to judgment, to life and he will shine with the brightness of Christ Jesus. You know, that is a beautiful hope for those that are being <laughs> murdered by a tyrant like Antiochus. They say, what, what's going on, Lord? We're, we're dying here. He says, though you die, you will rise again. And they will too. Your enemies will rise to judgment, but you will rise to life forever in my presence. That's good for us to know, friends, right now. We need to know that. And sometimes we kind of gloss over this kind of thing and say, yeah, I guess that's, that's good for me to know. But you know when, you really, when it really clicks? It's for, it's for our brothers and sisters in countries like, like Sudan and China who are just feeling, feeling the sword, feeling the teeth of the, the, of the beast clamping around them. That's when this hope, though I die, I shall rise, just really connects. It's beautiful. Great comfort to God's people then and now. And you need to see that God, uh, God has, a, has something he wants his saints to do with this. What does he, he say to Daniel? 
Seal up the vision. Seal up the vision. Now, what does that mean? Does it mean you just kind of hide it away until it happens? No. Uh, sealing didn't mean hiding. It meant you made, you made a duplicate copy, one to put in the records so that it was never lost, and another to have handy so it's always in front of you. So what, is, what does God mean when he says seals up the vision? He means preserve it. Don't forget it, people of God. Hold on to it. It's the very word of God speaking precious words to you in your time of distress. Keep it accessible and available because times are coming that trouble you and you're going to need it. You're going to need to go back and say, okay, feels like my life is falling apart. What does Daniel chapter 12 tell me? What does God tell me? So I ask you, friends, do you have these promises of God ready to apply to your heart? Do you have them ready? What do you need to do to get them before your eyes and, 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 and memorized? It's a great application from this passage. Walk away and memorize what God says about the resurrection from the dead. Have it handy so that when, when you see your loved ones die, when you see the beasts rise and threaten you, you have it ready. Though I die, I shall live. But it's only natural that the wise who hold on to God's promises would need something else. And that's, that's this, trust in God's timing. Notice that in verse five, there's a lot of references to time. And that's not surprising because we've just heard about this incredible distress that's coming against God's people. In fact, you can't read a chapter of the book of Daniel without seeing that things are gonna get difficult. So you say, how long, O Lord, before you just bring things to an end? How long before the resurrection? How long before Christ returns? How long until my suffering ends? And uh, you'll notice it's not even Daniel that asks this question. It's, one of, it's an angelic being on one side of the river. He speaks what's, what's on Daniel's heart and what's on our hearts, what's on the hearts of, of the angels that are watching all this play out. Even the angels want to know when our suffering's gonna end. Wouldn't it be great to know that Jesus is coming back at the end of next week? God doesn't tell us that. God implants in us a wisdom that reaches even beyond that kind of simple, ready answer. And he gives us um, several time references here. I want to look at each of them very quickly and why they're important for the wise to know. Do you want to be wise in the midst of this suffering? Well, you need to trust God's timing. And uh, God gives us three time references to instill that in us. First of all, he says, how long until these these things will take place. Well, God says this. The divine being says, times, a time, times, and half a time. I'll say that again. A time, times, and half a time. You say, okay, that's perfectly clear. Thank you. (laughs) No, it's like, what does this even mean? Right? It feels kind of like a cop-out, but it's, it's not. It actually, we've seen this back in, in chapter 7, verse 25. And what it is, is, is this beautiful token that teaches God's people how to trust in God's timing, even when we don't have a specific date on our calendar for when Christ is going to return. Because what does time, times, and half a time mean? Well, it means this, that there's going to be a period of difficulty 
then there's going to be another really long period of difficulty. In fact, you could say two really long time periods of difficulty. And then as you come on that final season of difficulty, it's finally going to get cut short, right? Difficulty, difficulty, but then difficulty gets cut short. What God is teaching us is that he limits our troubles. He limits our suffering by his mercy. Each one of us deserves what? What do we deserve? We deserve eternal suffering, eternal uh, penalty of, uh, of God's wrath. But by his mercy, he says, you're not going to get what, you're get what you deserve. I'm going to cut short your suffering and I'm going to limit it by my power. And when's he going to do that? He tells us, he says, right when you are shattered and broken and the people feel like they're on the ground and can't even pull themselves up, that's when I cut short your suffering. I won't let it go for a moment longer. That's good to know. It's good to know that we can trust God that he has limited our suffering by his mercy. But then he goes on and and we see later in, in, um, in verse 11, he has this other reference. He says, it'll take 1,290 days after that abomination of desolation is set up, after the Antichrist does his worst. So what does that mean? Well, again, okay, you've got times, a time, times, and half a time. What does that basically add up to? Three and a half years, right? You've got one, one period, two periods, and a half a period. Three and a half years. Well, 1,290 days basically adds up to, to three and a half years. This is something that a lot of people have observed. What is that? Half of seven years, the time of full judgment. So once again, God is cutting short. He is limiting our, our suffering by, by his mercy. But here that number, 1,290, brings out something very specific about God's timing. And it's this that God knows precisely when our suffering is going to end, down to the very day. I've said this before, friends, but God has circled on the calendars of heaven the date in which Christ, Christ will return and our suffering will end. And he's got it circled and read and underlined three times. It's a picture, of course, but you understand what I'm saying? That God knows the precise day that he will act And what that means is all of the days, the 1,290 days, they're figurative, but but they represent this long time in which God has a reason for each day that leads up to that day of deliverance. And the reason is this. The reason is to shape us into the people that God would have us to be. We see that throughout this chapter, right? That God is refining his people, molding them, shaping them to be those wise people that shine like the sun. How does he do that? Well, he does it through our trials, through our suffering. We, we tend to think of our days of suffering as like, like these wasted days, right? Oh, there was another difficult day. I guess I'm gonna look forward to better days ahead. Oh, there was another, you know, Another, another day in which I, I was dealing with this sickness. And we say, well, I guess that was just a wasted day. No, God has that on, your, on, on his calendar for your good to make you into who he would have you to be. Here, here's an, an illustration of this. When parents plan out their kids' schedules, so I have, there's parents out here. 
When you plan out your kids' schedules, do you ever put things on the schedule that, that are difficult for your kids? What if you just totally ignored? What if you said, okay, you know, no, um, we're, we're not, I'm not going to wait for the ice cream party at the end of the week. Ice cream party is right now. No, first, you have on the schedule hours of homework, uh, shots at the doctor's, uh, vaccination scheduled at the doctor's office, you know, cavity fillings at the dentist. And these, these are some of the things that might appear on your kids' calendars that you put there. And why did you put them there? Because they're important for your kids and you know it. And if you ask them, hey, do you want to go uh, to get a cavity filled? They'd say, no, I don't. But you say, they need it. Or you say, you know, do you want to do your homework now? No, I want to play video games. You say, well, first you do your homework and then the video games. I mean, it's the same thing, friends. There's, there's a similar analogy with what's going on here. God has our schedule plan, those 1,290 days, that, that sweeping period, full of much difficulty for us. Why? Because it's going to make the end so much sweeter and everything in between is for our good. We've got to trust him. Remember, our trials don't come to us by accident. They're not interruptions. They come to us from our Heavenly Father who knows what's best for us. That's important. And that's what's packaged here, 1,290 days. God knows the day, and he has a plan for all the difficulty leading up to the end. Okay? But there's something else here. 1,335 days. Blessed are those who wait for the 1,335 days. And here we have, packaged in this symbolic number, what our duty is in this waiting period. And it's what? To persevere. Because what is 1,335? It's 45 days after uh, the 1,290. And what it's basically symbolizing is this. Blessed are those who wait and endure and make it past those times of difficulty. Even those who wait to the time where it feels like God should be acting and his fulfillment should be happening, but it feels like his, his work is delayed. Blessed are those who endure and, and, and steer the course of wisdom even when it feels like God's timing has just gone way off track. When it feels like the 1,290 has come and you're still at 1,334, it's like, blessed are those who, who still remain waiting. Just like a child's job is to push through the homework, endure the dentist, ours is to endure suffering with trust that God is slowly but surely working it for our good. Even when it feels like he's delaying, he knows what he's doing. So what do we do while we wait? What do we do? Verse 12 tells us, in a, in, a, in a nutshell, it's this. We commit to God's calling. Blessed is he who waits and arrives at the 1,335 days, but go your way to the end, and you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of the days. You see, Daniel asked this really reasonable question. Lord, what's the outcome of all this stuff going to be? What's going to happen? And you know, God doesn't really give him a clear answer, does he? We have lots of questions as we come out of the book of Daniel. Maybe you're a little frustrated right now. Maybe you feel duped. You're like, Pastor, I thought we were going to know about the end times by the end of this book. I thought you were going to give us all these answers. 
You're like, all I have is more questions. I think that's actually what this book was somewhat designed to do. Show us the stuff that we need to know and leave us in all of the things that we don't know. And in fact, it's, it's God telling and showing us, showing Daniel, that there's not going to be a tidy answer to questions like, when exactly is the end going to come? What's going to happen with all of this? What exactly is it going to look like? How bad is it actually going to get? It's when we realize that we don't have answers to those questions that we can really throw ourselves into what we can and do know. What we do know is this, that God has a task for you and I right now. It is to pursue wisdom. It is to pursue his calling. Daniel had to walk away from these amazing visions and he had to go back to a desk and work as someone in the king's court. Can you imagine that? How do you come off of a mountaintop experience like that and go back to ordinary work like that? And in a similar sense, we might be wondering, how do I come off of the book of Daniel and go back to changing diapers and you know, working my desk job and, um, and talking to my friends about Jesus? That's exactly what God wants you to walk away from the book of Daniel doing. And he wants you to walk away with more confidence in, in doing those things and an encouragement to do those things and to persevere through them. When you get tired of, of changing diapers, when, when you're talking to your friends about Jesus, but all you're receiving is pushback and, 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 and anger and frustration, it's at times like that that we, we, we're like Daniel and we say, Lord, I need to steer that course of wisdom. Why? Because you've, you've given me a picture of what the end's going to be like. Verse 13, you shall rest. You shall stand in your allotted place at the end of your days. See, friends, God has freed us to not look into this world for something that it can't offer. But instead, we look to the end for, for only what Jesus can offer us. You see, Jesus has given us that inheritance at the end of our days. What, what is that? Resurrection from the dead. That blissful eternity in the presence of God. And it's because Jesus has given you these things. It's because that promise waits for you. You can get to work here now, fulfilling the calling that God's given to you. So very much like Daniel, you should hear this. Get back to work. Get back to the daily grind. But don't do it as someone who hasn't been changed by what you've just heard. Do it as someone who has been profoundly changed and who walks in wisdom because of it. Change diapers like no one else. Work your desk job like no one else. And do it because you know the God who is faithful to you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, because of Christ and what you have revealed through him, we have this hope. Help us to hold on to God's promises. And help us to trust that you really are working um, our timing, our schedule for, for our good. And finally, Lord, help us to really commit to, to our jobs here and now. And Help us to not lose sight of, of what you've called us to do, to do what we're doing well, to use our gifts, to do all this with wisdom. We pray all of this in Christ's name, the one who has given us this wisdom.